This is a big week for us in the life of our church. And why do we do a Mission Sunday? There's three reasons, and I tell you this every year, except last year we, were, we didn't get to do it because of the, the craziness in the world. But the first reason is we want to emphasize missions as the ministry of the church. And I think you know my heart. It's, it's not just us. It's never about us alone. It's always about what God can and wants to do through us to the world. And a church that doesn't have a heart for missions will shrink and shrivel up and die. And so this is the ministry of the church. Amen? Amen. Secondly, we want to inform the church, you, of the missions program. We want you to be aware of where your resources are going. And um, a church our size, when I became the pastor here, I, I, in prayer, I said to the Lord, I don't want to just support denominational uh, missions, which we do. A sizable piece of our tithe and offerings goes to our, we're over in, our denominations in over 180 countries around the world. But I ask the Lord for organic connections that, God, people, oftentimes the, the missionaries that need the most support are the least connected to resources. And over the last four years, God has just miraculously connected us with people like Coleman. And um, you're going to love this guy. You're talking about a frontline dude. This guy is hardcore, and I love him. Um, one of our sons who is at Lee felt this year that he wants to go be with Coleman and spend the summer. And so Stone is going to be doing that. And I can tell you this, Stone's mama's prayer support for you is going way up. I can tell you that. And so, so but we want you to know, in the jungles of Venezuela, in Pakistan, in Romania, in Jerusalem, we have two different missionaries that we support in Jerusalem. And a lot, here, even here locally, Kennesaw State, UGA, um, human I'm in, in a fundraiser tomorrow for House of Cherith. And I tell you this regularly, that if I showed you the, the, the messages and the pictures from the round, around the world that I'm getting from Facebook almost every day, I, almost every week, I couldn't, it would take too long to keep you abreast of what, where your resources are going. And so... We do take a week where we want to inform you of what God's doing through your resources. Because not everybody can go. Most people can't. But we can underwrite those who are going. Come on, amen? Don't, don't get chilly on me. I mean, this is, this is the ministry of the church. And then thirdly and lastly, I want you to connect. You know, we want to connect our church family to our missionaries. And Coleman said of all the churches, he'll probably tell you this, that he gets text messages, Facebook messages at the most timely um, seasons of ministry from you all. And um, our church has more than doubled since you were here last. And so you're going to get double the text messages and, and the prayer support. And so that's why we do missions. Amen? Um, and so when Coleman comes in just a few minutes, he's going to mention some places that you thought were only Disney movies like Madagascar. That's actually a place, everybody. That's just a word of knowledge, just a whole younger generation received. Um, Kathmandu, um, Sri Lanka, um, the DR Congo, that's not the Dominican Republic. It's a lot further away in the heart of Africa. 
and he mentions his, he mentions villages that you'll be. So I just want you to see where these places are. Can you pull up that? Let's see, Nepal, Kathmandu, where the red dot is, and you'll see all the way down at the bottom by the Google, um, Sri Lanka. The next slide has the places as, and, and I hope you everybody get oriented to where India. Okay, and then you'll see right there is the DR Congo. So when he mentions some of these places, he won't have to give you all these details about where it is. I, I just want you to, seldom do you get a missionary where you go, I've never heard of that place. And I don't even, is that a real place? And this cat is, this cat is in Kathmandu. <laughs> that was just free. The Holy Spirit gave me that right there. And um, it was, it was, I think two weeks ago, this message came from Coleman with this picture of these two little brothers. This is regular communication. I could pull up one of 15. So listen, this is Coleman. Hey, keep me and the kids in your prayers. I've been all over the DR Congo. We started this center last time I was here and there are 46 children here. We just went out this morning to a rough area and were able to rescue these two brothers. Their mother was kidnapped and killed by rebel forces they have been destitute for a good while. They are both malnourished and infested with parasites. The younger brother, Jabu, is especially malnourished. He is almost three. These boys' stories are the same as the most recent 15 children to come in. We're getting ready to enter into the next phase of the ministry in expanding it. Thinking, thinking about you guys over here, I would say that I am praying your church is doing well, but I am too assured of that already that it is. Love you guys. We love you, Coleman. And so as we give this morning, um, I, I, I'm going to ask you to stand um, because our money is going around the world to touch people's lives. Aren't you blessed not only that you've, you've received, but you've received enough to share and bless others. Come on, amen. I, I want you, I want a heart from, listen, you're gonna hear Wednesday night from Bruce. I, Bruce Deal runs the, the premier urban mission in the world, the Philippines. Other governments are sending people here to find out how to do it. The government from the Philippines was at the city of refuge a few weeks ago, and they said, as Kelsey my niece kept saying, our God and the Holy Spirit and ministry. And the guy said through the translator, let her know we're not interested in hearing about her God. And so when that went through to Kelsey, Kelsey said back through, well, without our God, we don't have a ministry. Amen. And so the... We sit here in the suburbs blessed, but there are people giving their lives to be able to worship, to be able to share the gospel. And we, we are so blessed. It's our honor to have Coleman here. It's our honor to be able to sow in. You'll hear him. For every child they're receiving, they're turning away 35 to 40. They've got room for 100 to 120 kids in an orphanage where they've got 45. And they need about five grand more per, per month to be able to do it. 
And we're going to be that difference. If you've got capacity for that, we're going to sow in to this ministry. Amen. Amen. May we connect. When you bless the things that, that mean the most to God, you will be blessed. And I'm not talking about with stuff. You will be blessed way more than stuff. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's say it with faith. Father God, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. Everything that I have that is worth having came from your hand, and I thank you for it. You are a gracious, generous Father who has given good gifts to all of your children. You have blessed me so that I might be a blessing to others. Today, I give with a cheerful heart and trusting faith. I believe that it is more blessed to give than receive. I trust you and take you at your word. Come on. And I expect that you will continue to bless me, provide for me, and keep me in your... Can you give your father praise for the way he cares for you? Amen. 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 Before you're seated, could we honor and bless our missionary, the Coleman Bailey? Come on. My goodness. My goodness, well, what a welcoming. <laughs> you know, right when I got off the, uh, you guys can get be seated, please, please. Right when I came into uh, the house this morning, uh, I got right out of my truck and it was just immediately, hey, Coleman, hey, Coleman, hey, Coleman. It's so good to be here. Uh, Pastor Chuck was telling you guys how, how so often you guys are sending me messages and emails and, and how those things are so timely. Now, I'm such a huge fan of what you guys are and, and, and what God is doing in this place. And, and, and I've been blessed by the work the Lord is doing in this place. Even just being blessed by your prayers. And so I'm just so happy to be here. <laughs> Psalms, it says how precious it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like oil dripping down from Aaron's beard. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I know it's good. <laughs> and, uh, and I just feel his goodness here today. I know that so many of this, you have just recently started coming to church here. And you know that there's something different happening here. There's something special happening here. Even this morning, just as we're in worship, I'm just overwhelmed by the holiness of God. And, and, and as we're just singing those songs, I'm just thinking of, of what Isaiah saw when, when he had that revelation of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth screams His glory. It's filled with His glory. And man, it's just I, I just feel so close to God. You know, today's Pentecost Sunday, and today we're celebrating that the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago was poured out on this day. The Spirit of God was just poured out, and Pastor Chuck was mentioning in Acts uh, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And today, we experience that same outpouring. 
You know, we look at Acts and we see something that's so supernatural. It's something that's so wild, something that's so amazing. It doesn't make sense how God's poured out in Acts chapters 1 and 2. But the reality is that's the most natural way God pours out when his people are centered on him. When we just center everything on Jesus Christ as a church, when, when he is the only thing that matters, that's how God looks. And just over the last year, man, I've just been seeing the Spirit of God being poured out. And I'll share a little bit about that with you in just a minute. But, but just before we get started, I'm going to share you guys a bunch of stories. But I just want to spend a second in prayer. I know we've prayed a lot already, but I just want to spend a second in prayer. I want this thing to only be about Jesus Christ today. Listen, I know I'm up here, I'm on the pulpit today, I'm sharing the message, but church, the reality is I don't want to leave here the same way. Whenever you encounter Jesus, you are changed. And this morning, I don't want to leave here the same way, I want to be changed. And I know that the, that happens when Jesus Christ is just at the center. Church, so let's just pray. God, we just give this time to you, Lord. We just consecrate these moments to you, Lord. God, you've been doing something in this church, Lord, and I believe that it's, you're doing something that's so much greater than we even realize. God, I ask that you would pour out your spirit among us. God, I know that much more than, than we want you, you want us, Lord. And much more than we want to be used by you, God, you want to use us, Lord. So, God, we just say, Lord, we sacrifice this time to you, God. We sacrifice our lives to you. God, and we just place our hearts and our lives and our hands at the altar of surrender, Lord. God, use us. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I know that uh, a lot has changed since the last time I was here. The church has grown tremendously. You got people all the way up there. It's crazy to see. Last time I was here, there was a lot of social distancing. And so I know the last time I was here, I was able to share a lot of stories with you about my background, but I know there's a lot of new faces here. And so I just wanted to kind of recap my introduction into the ministry where I'm at right now. Uh, before I do that, uh, Restoration Church, you guys got some awesome photos of me that I didn't even send to you guys. I have no clue how you got it, but on the promo, go to the promo. Um, I've, I've, I've had a lot of titles in my life. I don't know where you guys got that photo from, but that's me and a little girl named Kopskenya. And uh, Kopskenya, she was rescued out of forced childhood marriage. I'll tell you more about that ministry in just a second. But uh, she was married off when she was nine years old. Uh, we rescued her uh, from that and through some partnerships we've had. But Kopskenya came into the home, and I just want to tell you this story just to know, for you to know, this, my greatest title in the world, my greatest privilege in the world. Kopskenya came into the home, and She's the funniest little kid, and so she was there for about a week, and, and uh, we were, I was walking by, and Kopskinia yells out to me. She says, Coleman, am I your, your, uh, your daughter or your sister? <laughs> she was trying to figure it out. I said, Kopskinia, you're neither. She said, what? I said, you're my mother. <laughs> And so I wish you could see Cub Scania, even to this day. Hello, my son. <laughs> How are you doing, my son? Uh, she's 11 years old. Coleman, my son, you are not eating. You need to eat more beans. I kid you not, every single day. So 
So, you know, I love the fact that you guys were able to find that photo. You know, much more than missionaries serving orphans worldwide, it's Kupskenya's son. So, <laughs> but, uh, but over the last six years, the Lord has been able to just take me to so many different places to do so many different kinds of ministries. It's some things that I never could have imagined me doing. And so I just want to step back to about 2015 when this whole thing started. I was born and raised in Griffin, Georgia, on the other side of Atlanta, where all the rednecks in the Flint River are. <laughs> That's where I was. But um, I, I never had any desire to do not only any kind of ministry, I never had any desire to leave this country, I never had any desire to work with children. Um, I, I had a tremendous amount of apathy towards children. Children were a great annoyance to me. I had no heart for any of this. Um, before I, I went overseas for the first time, I had, I had no faith. Uh, I believed in God. I went to church, but, but I didn't believe God interacted with the world. That's where I was. I believed God had created this world, and, 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 and he had tuned it up and, and just left us here. I did not believe God interacted with the world. That's where I, my background, that's where I, I came from. In 2015, I was graduating from college, and I had applied to a bunch of grad programs. I'd gotten accepted into a bunch, had some great scholarships, and I was planning on going and doing just that, going into grad school. My dream was this, that I could go to grad school, I could figure out some job I could get writing, and I was going to go into the mountains, probably in the Smokies, and just live the most isolated life ever. I didn't want to see anybody. <laughs> I can remember when I had graduated from college, I was preparing to go into grad school, and man, I just began to feel this intense amount of dissatisfaction. It was something that I had lived with my whole life, just an intense amount of dissatisfaction. I think it's something that we all engage with at some point in our lives, but it became overwhelming to me, and I can remember having a conversation with someone, and I just began to think, man... I don't want to live my life in a way to where one day I just wake up and think, my God, where did the time go? And so uh, with the way grad schools are set up, I just deferred a year. I had no clue what I was going to be doing. I had no plans on anything. And then I met someone who was telling me about all of these different travels that they had been doing, and they said something about Kathmandu, Nepal. And so on a whim... And, and I say on a whim, in about a week, I, I kept thinking, Kathmandu, Nepal, Kathmandu, Nepal. And, and so I just bought a plane ticket there. I had no plan. I had no clue what I'd be doing. I had heard that there were street kids there. I thought, you know, I deferred a year. I've got nothing to do. Maybe I can go help out some street kids there. Now, I'll tell you this. That was one of the, the stupidest decisions I've ever made. <laughs> It was the greatest, but also the stupidest. I, I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know anybody there. I didn't go there connected to some kind of ministry. I just bought a one-way plane ticket there, and, and I just lived in Kathmandu. I can remember getting off the plane just thinking, oh, my Lord, what have I done? I rented a, a small little four-walled room. It had a bathroom, a shared bathroom outside. And I just lived there. And I can tell you so many different stories of, of going into these rural villages and living there and getting sick plenty of times. But I quickly saw that there were so many street children all throughout the city. More than I could count. I was overwhelmed by it. I was thinking, okay, what can I do to, to be able to help these children out? 
what can I be able to do to, to, to be able to minister to these children? And, and then just me and, and, and my brain, I thought, I'll start a feeding program. That's what I'll do. I'll start a feeding program and we'll just feed as many kids as we possibly can. And I kept trying to do that. And, and, and I started, tried to start doing this feeding program. Now, I've got no clue about any of this. I have no clue what Nepalis eat. I have no clue uh, where to get this amount of food, how to cook, or anything like this. So I was relying on a lot of different resources, a lot of different people. And, and we were trying to start this feeding program. And, and I can remember the first time we're, we're getting things together. I'm just cooperating with a bunch of local people there. And we're getting this plan together. And then, it, man, it just falls on its face. It fails miserably. And that kept happening. And it would build up some more momentum. And, and then it would just fall on its face. And more so than that, I was going out and I was having all of these individual encounters with just these young children. And it seemed like every time I did anything, it was just this humiliating defeat. Anything I did, everything I did was a humiliating defeat. And I can remember after about three or four months, in, in the first three or four months I was praying, I was just saying, God, I know I'm an idiot. <laughs> I know I don't know what I'm doing. But, but after about three, four months, I got to this point, and I can remember praying and, and saying that same thing, Lord, I know I'm an idiot. But then, then I can remember praying and saying, no, God, I'm reading your word, and I see where you're the God of the fatherless. You know, I mean, you read through Exodus, Psalms, it, James, it says, pure and undefiled religion is this, taking care of the widow and orphan in times of their distress. I say, God, you're the God of the fatherless. Your scripture says that you take a special interest in these children. And so I've come all the way around the world to help these kids out. And you're not helping me help these children out. And then I can remember the prayer quickly turned, and I said, God, I feel like the reason why these children aren't getting taken care of is because you don't want them taken care of. I accused God. I was angry. And in that moment, God just responded right back to me and said, Coleman, the way you treat these street children is the same way you treat cattle. Now, uh, as a child, being down in Griffin, I, I was raised around Black Angus, and so the, the imagery immediately made sense. Coleman, all you do is you, for these kids is you care about if they get enough food and clean water. You, that's all you care about with a cow. You just want to bring them through their little feeding trough that you've created and send them on their way. You treat them no differently than cattle. Coleman, you don't know how to love. I can remember I was reading through the book of John at the time, and it just crushed me because I knew it was so true. I didn't know how to love. Can you remember reading John 15 and Jesus telling his disciples, just as the Father has loved me, so also I have loved you. And I can remember thinking, man, God, your love is so incredibly different than any kind of love I've ever seen. It's almost like we need a completely different word for the love of God than, than, than the, just the typical love we talk about. I say, I'm, I'm reading through the book of John. I see the way you lived your life. God, you just loved at a different level. And, and, and it's, like I said, the scripture says the same love that the Father has for the Son. It says the Son has for us. I said, God, I experienced this love. I said, but I go out on the streets and, and I try to love these children. And I give them the very best of this Griffin, Georgia, redneck's love. 
And that love just sucks compared to yours, God. I said, God, I don't know how to love. And so what I started to do was I completely stopped trying to do any kind of ministry. I completely stopped trying to do any kind of social work or anything like that. I completely stopped. And you know what I did is I would wake up every single morning. And, and this is when I really started to develop a prayer life. I would wake up every single morning for one, two, three hours. I would just get on my knees before God and I would say, God, I need you to teach me how to love. Lord, I don't know how to love. Lord, I see that your love is different. God, would you put your love in me? God, would you teach my heart how to love? God, I know you've got feelings for these children. You've got divine affections, God. I want to feel what you feel. And I prayed that prayer so much. And the amazing thing is this is, is God answered that prayer. And God began to change my heart. I told you, I didn't care about kids. God began to put those feelings in my heart. And so what I started to do was, instead of trying to do this big feeding program, I just went out and I just immersed my life into the streets. I went out there and I just lived with those children. They would feed me more than I would feed them. And I got parasites all the time because of this. <laughs> Again, not an advisable thing to do. I'd go out there, I'd sleep on the street sometime. God started to give me a heart for these Hindu priests, and I would go and I would just spend time with them. And I can remember I was going out, and you know, these street kids, you know, they're involved in, in, you know, there's a way they get income, and it involves brothels. And I would go out and I'd be spending time with them. And then I can remember being so irritated at the people in charge of these, the men in charge of these brothels. I just hated them. And I can remember even God saying, God, Coleman, even those people I love. And I can remember just having so much hate in my heart, but even them. I remember going out to some of these guys and just saying, hey, can I take you out to eat? I, I can remember after about a month, I would be just going out, spending time with these people. I would just start talking about how good God is. It wasn't like me trying to share the gospel. It was just saying, man, God's so stinking good. And man, I just started seeing people respond. Young people started giving their hearts to Christ. Old people started giving their hearts to Christ. In this same time, a couple of different things happened after about a month. And one was, uh, I again, I, I was feeling extremely defeated. And, and I left the city. Uh, I got extremely sick and, and when I was coming back. And I got out of a bus. I actually fell to the ground. There was a young man there uh, who's got another crazy story. I don't think I have enough time for it. But I called him up and I said, man, I need you to come get me. I've fallen. I, I can't even stand up. Him and another man came. They picked me up. They had to carry me to my house. They had to carry me up four flights of stairs. And I was, I, my bed was just a little mat about this thick. They laid me on that mat. And, and uh, yeah, I couldn't move. My landlord, she was real scared. She called a doctor. The doctor comes up there. Uh, the Nepali doctor had no clue what he was doing. <laughs> I think he said the, uh, the, the famous Nepali cure-all. He said, this young man needs to be drinking hot water. I'm like, I can't move. <laughs> but <laughs> I tell you that story to tell you this, that I stayed on that mat for two days. And, and, and I'll fast forward real quick. The, the Lord healed me in, in just a crazy way. And I was doubting God working in this world and God healed me. But what was more impressive than that was for those two days I was laying on that mat, I felt the love of God like I've never felt it before. 
And I can remember what it was like was God was just saying, Coleman, the way you are on this mat right now is how not only you are physically, it's how you are spiritually, it's how you are ministerially. Coleman, you can't do anything, but I love you. I love you. And I can remember for just two days, I just basked in the love of God. And it was the first time I believed fully understood that God loves me. It's not that just God loves the world, God loves this and that. God loves Coleman Bailey. And that, I look over the last six years of my life, over the last 28 years of my life, and there's no event that has changed my life more than those two days. And it was just fully being aware that God loves me. Like I said, God healed me, and, and, and that wasn't even the miracle in my life. It was the miracle was that God loved me. But, but right after that, I started to see some crazy things happen. About a week later, uh, I was having this, on Monday nights and Thursday nights, I was having, it was just like a little social event. I was with all these street kids, and so I was just inviting them over to my house. I said, you guys come out here at random times. Just come to my house every Monday, Thursday night. It was just a social event. No ministry was being done. The gospel wasn't being shared. It was just a bunch of Nepali Hindus. And, uh, and I can remember one evening, I was, there's a backstory, but I was extremely annoyed at something. I was in a very bad mood, and I was going to cancel it. I felt like the Lord was leading me to keep it going. I didn't know why, uh, but I didn't cancel it. And we're there, there was seven Nepali guys there, and then three of them left. There's four boys remaining, and they're all 16 to 18, and we're sitting there, and, and I felt like I was supposed to keep this going for a reason, so me and just my bad mood, I'm just in a bad mood. I said, hey, do you guys ever have any questions about Jesus? I asked it just like that. You ever have any questions about Jesus? And this one boy named Lalit, he's from western Nepal, he had just come into Kathmandu. He said, yeah, this was in January. He said, yeah, you know, I went to that, uh, that party with you the other day. We'd gone to like a church Christmas party. The gospel wasn't presented, nothing like that. It was just a social event. He said, I went to that party with you and I began to feel this. This boy has no clue about Jesus, nothing. He said, I began to feel this. I've been feeling this ever since then. I feel it every time I'm around you. I feel this right now. What is this? Another boy, Naveen, he pipes up. He says, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling that too. What is that? Now, I'm in a bad mood. I don't feel this. <laughs> and so I give them the most basic explanation. I give them a boring explanation of the gospel. It was horrible. I'm like, what are your feelings, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus loves you. Jesus came to this world. Jesus died for you. Jesus created you in your mother's womb. He knit you together there. There's not been a moment in your life that Jesus doesn't know about. Jesus knows everything. He knows the high points, the low points, the victories, the shame, the guilt, and he loves you so much. And I'm telling them this in a bad mood, and they just begin to weep. I say, do you guys want Jesus to be Lord in your life? And three out of the four of them said, yeah. I lead them in the sinner's prayer. I feel so, you know, I don't, again, I'm still not feeling anything. I lead them in a sinner's prayer. 
and they gave their heart to Christ, and I just saw how it changed their life so much. I had been working with these street kids, trying so hard to get them to, to change their life, to get motivated about their health, to get motivated about their education, to want to get into a children's home. And, and I was having so much struggle with this, but I just saw how one encounter with Jesus Christ, it changed everything. I mentioned to you Govinda, Govinda who carried me up. Govinda gave his heart to Christ. This is a boy who is on and off the streets. This boy right now is in Nova Scotia right now studying engineering. The gospel changes everything. It changes everything about someone's life. And, and after that moment, it was just right and left. So many of these young boys were giving their hearts to Christ. And I was watching this complete transformation occurring in their lives. I mentioned last night to Pastor Chuck a boy named Surendra who, who I just saw, I mean, just had the greatest heart transformation I've ever seen. Surendra, he, he came up to me one day and he said, Coleman, my family's mad at me. I said, Surendra, what did you do? Why are they mad at you? He said, I've given my heart to Jesus. Said, when did you do that? <laughs> he said, and then he said this, and, and I, I had completely forgotten about this until we were talking last night. He said, Coleman, I could see the way that you love is different. Man, that was the that was that was the greatest testament to grace I've ever been given. And so many times we talk about grace and we talk about it like it's this covering for, for our failures. But sin your grace is also just this ability that we can transform. That we don't have to keep living in our sin. God can change our hearts. And it was like God changed my heart. I came back to America. Uh, my visa ran out over there. I, I had to come back to America. I was thinking, man, I'm done with this. I loved being in Nepal. If it wasn't for the visa, I'd probably still be there. But I thought, man, I'm done with this. Um, I just want to fish. I can remember I had enrolled into grad school, and I can remember there was like a month. I wasn't sleeping at all. Um, I kept waking up 2, 3, 4 a.m. just constantly. I kept waking up, and I, I kept waking up with this very clear image, and it's something that I can still see so clearly today. It was this image of the first time I saw this little girl uh, eating trash, like literal plastic. And it moved me a lot because it was a painful sight to see. But what happened with that girl's story was not a pretty one. I tried to help her. I tried to get her into a children's home. By this time in Nepal, I'd been working in a lot of children's homes, uh, working, partnering with street children to try to get them into these children's homes. I was working with all different kinds of children's homes, all these different kinds of projects. And so I was trying to take her, get her to a, a hospital because she was really sick, get her fed and get her into a children's home. And... and while she's eating, I'm calling these children's homes up, and, and, uh, and she just runs away. Where, where is she at? Where is she at? I don't even know her name. And I, I can remember leaving that meal and just running all throughout the city. I had to pay for it. I couldn't find her. I'm looking for this little girl for hours. Finally, I found her. She was in this community of street children that I had known pretty well. It was a pretty violent one, and, and I know she was getting sold uh, pretty regularly. She was addicted to drugs, and I just knew there was no way I was taking her out of that. And that caused just so much pain in my life, because I just knew I was too late. 
And, and, and that's what the Lord just kept bringing up in my mind, in, in my heart. I couldn't get out of that. And so finally, after about a month, I just said, God, okay, God, I surrender. I surrender, Lord. If you want to do something with my life, if you want to do something, you can do it, God. I, I give you control. And I, I had all these plans. I stopped trying to do those plans. And, and that's what I've spent the last years of my life doing. Been partnering with children's homes all around the world. I was first in Nepal, then India, Sri Lanka, uh, and then most recently all over Africa, uh, heading to Ukraine on Thursday. Trying to make these centers the best possible place so that we can get these children before they get to that point of that little girl. And that's what I've been doing, and, 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 and there's so many amazing things to share, and, and I can't go into all of them, but I'll, I'll tell you about one or two of them. Pastor Chuck was just mentioning uh, DR Congo. DR Congo, of all the places I've been in the world, I've never seen human suffering more than I have in eastern DR Congo. There's a district there called North Kivu, and North Kivu is just suffering from an intense amount of, uh, of, of war. People are dying there. They're getting hacked up with machetes. That's the world's epicenter of Ebola. You've got disease running rampant. And I've never seen human suffering like that. Uh, before I went to DR Congo, I had heard that there was this abandoned building there. Uh, some people had built it with some vision. It wasn't happening. And there was just this structure. There was just a concrete structure. And I went over to it and I saw it one day. There was no windows, no plumbing, no electricity, no water, no nothing. But I was working with a local guy and... and, and I said, man, let's, let's, let's bring in some of these children into this place. And uh, I can remember we, we, we had to do some renovations to, to get it towards a livable situation for these children. And we were, and we were prepared at, at one point to take in 15 children, 15 children into that project. And so we were started to talk, okay, well, which 15 children do we take in? All throughout this city right here, there's hundreds of children who are completely destitute. Which 15 children do we take in? And so we just brought it before the Lord. God, which 15 children do you want us to take in? And I can remember praying for about two days, and after two days, I felt like the word the Lord gave to us was, hey, the children in this city are suffering. It's an injustice. But because they're in a city, they have a chance at survival I felt like what the Lord was calling us to was to reach the children who had no chance at survival. I felt like God was telling us to go into the jungles, into where these militant groups were, and work with the children who had no opportunity at survival. And that's exactly what we did. We started going out into the jungle, and I can remember I was having to hide in the back of a vehicle at time because I'm a target for kidnapping, and, and we were going to all these places. Uh, there were times where uh, I bribe the military $8. That's a little side note. I shouldn't say it in front of a church. <laughs> but, to, but we were going just deep into these jungles. I can remember I got a list. We wrote down a list of 250 children who I deemed just completely destitute. And again, we could only take in 15 children. We ended up taking in 17 children. It was the 17 children that we just said, okay, I am not convinced that this child could make it six months. I feel like this child's going to die. And I know that there's children that were on that list that are probably dead today. Uh, again, I was talking to Pastor Chuck last night, and there's so many stories that I had forgotten about. But I can remember um, being in the back of this vehicle one day, 
And I can remember, I was laying there, hiding, I was looking up out the window, and I can just remember praying. And just like I prayed in Nepal, God, do you not see what's going on here? I prayed that same prayer, but it was in a completely different context. A completely different heart by which I prayed. I said, God, do you not see what's going on here? God, these kids, they don't have a birth certificate. They don't have anything. Nobody knows that these children exist. These children will be born out in this jungle. They'll live out in this jungle. They'll suffer in this jungle. And they'll die in this jungle. And the world will never know about it. God, do you not see this? Do you not see the evil that's happening? And I can remember just having this amazing spiritual moment, this horrible, amazing spiritual moment. I feel like what God did, just the only way I can describe it is this. I feel like God just put a little bit of his anguish in my heart. And God just allowed me to feel a little bit of his heartbreak. And man, it just crushed me. And I knew that as much as it broke my heart to see those children and to leave those children, I knew it broke God's heart even more. We've been working in that project every single day and just grinding at it. And we've gotten the, you know, when I sent that text, we had 47. We've got 56 children in that home right now. 80 outside of the home in foster care-like situations. And every single one of these children are just children that were on the brink of survival. Uh, There's a, a boy named Patrick. I think we've got a photo of him. This is Patrick right here. He's from a place called Benny. His parents were hacked up with machetes. Him and his sister Prisca were left wandering in the jungle. The military was doing an operation, and they just stumbled across Patrick walking through the jungle. They brought him into Goma, um, the the city that we're in, and they took him to the hospital there. The way the hospitals work over there is, is you have to pay for the treatment before you can get it. So the hospital, they call us up and they say, hey, we've got this boy here, he's about to die, um, and we're not going to do the treatment on him unless someone can pay for it. We said, we'll pay for it. <laughs> Whatever it takes, we'll pay for it. And that's the same thing with about 20 other kids, that same story right there. But this is Patrick after he had been in the hospital for four weeks getting nourished back to health. He looks like he's on the brink of survival right there, but that's actually him after four weeks of just receiving constant medical attention. We're able to rescue him, and, and it's so amazing to see. I was just with Patrick recently, and, and it's like that world has never existed in his mind. I think we've got a photo of him. That's Patrick right now. And that's the story of so many kids there. I think we have that. Can we get that photo of Jibu and Salamani? That's Jibu and Salamani. Where they are at right now is actually a place where these Rwandan rebels were you know, just owning that area. They had captured their mother, and, and they just killed her. Uh, they, they were holding her for ransom. Uh, they couldn't pay $500, so they killed her. Uh, this was the house that they were staying in before their mother died, and they were just left there, abandoned. They were out there for weeks. Uh, chief calls in, and, and we go out there. I, I went out there, and, and I wish you could have... This is a pretty gut-wrenching photo. I wish you could have seen it in person Salamani's the older boy. He's just literally covered in parasites at this point. Jibu, he's about three years old, but he's so weak, he he can't stand, he can't walk. I I picked him up, and his body was just stiff with hunger. He could barely move his limbs. And again, it's just so amazing to see. If you just give a child a little bit of 
a, a little bit of, of, of shelter, a little bit of safety, a little bit of food, how it can just transfer their, transform their lives. Soleimani is always the first one to line up uh, to eat. It's pretty cute. He's gaining a lot of weight. I think we've got a photo of them right now, too. <laughs> Ain't that awesome? He's actually holding his brother up there. You know, Jibu's still getting the strength to stand. There's a video, I wish I would have brought this video, but there's a video of Jibu just struggling to walk. But man, I just thought, man, that's just such a beautiful picture of God's working in their lives. In DR Congo, uh, we're seeing God do some tremendous things, not only in, in the home, but also in the church. I feel like the Lord's just bringing revival. Now, I know we've got to close here in just a second, but... But I've, I've told a lot of stories. But, but, man, I've just, over the last year, I've just been seeing the Spirit of God move so much. And, and, and I really believe it. it. It really started about a year ago. Um, and I know there's a lot of new faces here. A lot of you may not know this story. Uh, but just over a year ago, um, I was trying to deal with the negative effects of COVID in all of our homes. Our children's homes were suffering immensely. Um, they had to buy, you know, in certain countries, the government was forcing them to buy all of these different hygiene tools to keep the home running. Uh, and on top of that, there was massive inflation incurring um, with staple goods such as like rice and beans. The cost of rice and beans were, were doubling and tripling in so many places. And so what we were doing was we were just sending extra funds over just here, there, as much as we could. And it got to a point in about May of last year where I just said, we just need a systematic approach for dealing with these needs. Um, and so I made this little form for them to fill out online. Uh, I sent it out to all of them. And I sent it out on, I can remember, it was a Tuesday I sent it out to them. On Thursday, they started responding to them. And I quickly realized that the need was so much greater than, than I had even understood. Now I can remember there was no churches for me to go and to knock down and beg for money. I'd already been doing that plenty enough. And I just remember being overwhelmed again. I can remember just saying, God, I need $5,000 by this weekend. I prayed it just like that. I didn't pray a long prayer. It was just like, Lord, I need $5,000 by this weekend. That was a Thursday. I think it was like Friday or Saturday, uh, Pastor Chuck called me up. And he said, Coleman, I was just on a jog. I was just on a run. And I just thought, man, can you come to my church on Sunday? I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. We didn't talk about anything. We didn't plan anything. We had no agenda, no nothing. I come here on a Sunday. We're sitting out there in the lobby. We put Facebook Live up and we just start talking. We're telling a lot of these same stories I've told. And then Pastor Chuck, just halfway through it, he just stops. He says, you know, church... I feel like we're supposed to raise $5,000 for Coleman. <laughs> and, and I was just in shock. I, I don't know if you could see it on the video. I think my mouth was open. I was like, what's going on? And then people just begin to put in the comment section, I'll give this, I'll give this, I'll give this. And after about 15 minutes, you know, the $5,000 was raised. And I was just like, guys, you have no clue what's going on here. You have no clue what I just prayed. 
And, and the story's even greater than that. Uh, the next day, I, by, by that Monday, that Tuesday, I had, I had started to get all of the reports in, and, and I put it all into an Excel sheet, made it look real pretty, and, and after determining the needs, I think it was that I needed $13,400. And I just said, man, restoration, just put a great seed in that. I can get the rest of that from, that, from, from other churches. That was either Monday or Tuesday. That same evening, I made that Excel sheet in the morning. That same evening, uh, Pastor Chuck reached out to me and said, hey, I just got the total in. Uh, and, it, and again, I'd made the Excel sheet. It was like 13400 I said, I think it was, we were able to raise $13,800. We got that check in the mail. We sent that stuff out so fast. <laughs> And man, it was such an amazing thing. I was hearing testimonies just through WhatsApp. I was still stuck here in the States. But man, just I've been in seven countries since the, the start of the year, working with, I think it was like 20 different children's homes just since the start of the year. And, and all of these homes were recipients of that. And it's just so much more amazing to hear them say it in person. Coleman, you don't understand. We were on our last sack of flour. We had nothing else to feed the children. And then that money came in at just the right time. We were able to fill it up. When we're obedient to God, when we put him at the center of our lives, we see God moving in the miraculous. We see Acts chapter 2. And like I said, just over the last year, I've just been seeing the Spirit of God move. And like last October, our home in Nairobi, uh, where Cops Kenya lives, uh, they, they said, Coleman, will you preach for us? I said, guys, I got nothing. I'm worn out. I got no content. I'm tired. I haven't slept in so long. I don't have anything. I don't want to preach. <laughs> yeah, Pete, y'all are like, I know where this is going. <laughs> I can remember, I said, I'll get up there for five minutes. I'll just greet the children. I got up there. I don't even think I preached from the word. I just got up there. I just started talking about God. But man, the spirit of God just fell on me. I, I don't cry a lot. I don't have a lot of emotion, but I was just on the verge of tears for 20, 30 minutes. And then I just watched the Spirit of God just fall down on 72 children in that home. And man, I'm telling you, it was just so amazing to see. I've been seeing that just happen right and left in all of our children's homes. All around the world, the Spirit of God is just falling down. What we're reading in Acts where in Joel it says that in the last days I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Church, I've been seeing it happen in our children's homes. You've been seeing it happening here. I've been seeing it happening in our children's homes. I was telling Pastor Chuck last night, I, I was so excited to come here, not only just to tell you the testimony of what was able to happen last year with the funds, not only to be able to see so many faces, but I just feel like revival's breaking out in this house. I feel like revival's breaking out in children's homes all around the world, and it's all connected to the same source. It's like springs are forming up all over the world, and God is at the center of it. I 
I could tell you a million more miracles that have happened in the last year. I mean, it's just countless. I could tell you so many miracles. The church, I know I've gone over the time. I, I, I just want to just share with you one just quick burden. Uh, I, there's so many more things to tell you about DR Kong. I just want to share this one thing with you. Uh, I've been seeing God pour out His Spirit. And, and, and I've just recently recognized that, that any work of God that He does... It's connected to so much of a greater work. We get into these times and we say, wow, the Spirit of God's moving. And, and we're so impressed, but, but God's doing ten different things at the same time. And, and it's completely changed the way I've prayed. Over the last week, I've been thinking a lot about Joel, but I've also been thinking a lot about Malachi chapter 4. And it says, in the last days, I'm going to send the Spirit of Elijah to return the hearts of fathers to their sons and sons to their fathers. And, and, and I can tell you a hundred different things. We don't have the time for it. But it's changed the way I prayed about the children around the world. I've always prayed for our kids. I've prayed for so many of our kids. And I've prayed that the Lord would just pour out his love in them. That they would just know that they have a father in heaven who loves them. That God would heal their traumatic wounds. But over the last week, I've been praying for them in a completely different capacity. I've been praying, God... Would you not just pour out your spirit on them? Would you raise up sons and daughters? God, I know I'm making a kingdom impact right now. I know that through a life of surrender, God, you've used my life and you've made an impact on these children's lives. God, I want to see that in these children, they make so much more of a kingdom impact than I ever could. God, don't just heal them of their traumatic wounds. God, raise up prophets. God, raise up teachers. God, raise up apostles and evangelists and teachers. Church, I feel like we're just on the cusp of what God's doing. We're just on the cusp of it. God is doing something so amazing. And I've seen his spirit being poured out on our sons and daughters. I'm just saying now, raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. Raise up a mighty army. Last week, I was telling Pastor Chuck, I was driving, and I was trying to think about all these different things. I had a lot to think about, and I couldn't think about any of it. I was praying this prayer, and I was literally driving from Chattanooga to Atlanta. I was just crying the whole time. Again, I'm not a crier. I was praying for one girl named Jenica. And Jenica's, you know, last year, a lot of COVID situations forced a lot of children's homes that we're not partnering with to shut down. She got sent away. It was a home that we had heard about. We started tracking down all these different children. And uh, it took us about seven months to find her. She was in a really rural area. She had gotten sent back to the village where she came from. She was staying in a little abandoned mud building for seven months while we were looking for her. She didn't know we were looking for her. She was staying there. We had found her. We brought her back in. And, and she was so jacked to be there. She was so excited. She was like, man, I'm be able to get an education. She's 13 years old. And, uh, and, and after about a month, we soon found out that Jenica was pregnant. Every night in that little mud building, she had been getting raped, abused. Man, it broke my heart. I came back to America over the holidays. I can remember sharing this story with someone. And they were saying, Coleman, what, what are you going to do? And then I've just heard it so many times. I said, Coleman, is there not abortion in Kenya? Man, it just broke my heart. I know that when Jenica was in that mud building, the Lord saw her. 
the Lord knew her, and I knew that baby that was in her belly, even at 13 years old, was someone who was being knit together uh, by, by God's hand. She was being made with a purpose, and, and I just share this burden with you, church, because I'm praying that the Lord just raises up sons and daughters, and I just believe it's starting with Jenica. Oh, yeah, that's her right there. That's, that's the first day. I think j- just about five, six weeks ago, she gave birth. We, that's her and Natalie. I believe the Lord's doing something in their lives, and she doesn't even know it yet, but I know that the Lord is raising her up to make an impact on this kingdom, to spread the gospel where it's never been spread. There's so many different things I could ask you to pray for. There's so many different things I could ask from you this church this morning. But, but, but I just want us to just pray for her for just a second, if that's okay. And then I'll, I'll hand it back over to you, Pastor Chuck. But God, would you just raise up Jenica right now, Lord? God, I believe that, that, that prayer is the forefront of any battle we wish to, to, to defeat, God. And, and Lord, when Jenica was in that little abandoned mud building, God, you saw her, Father. You saw the injustice happening to her, Lord. God, and even as she had this baby in her belly, Lord, God, you were knitting Natalie together in her mother's womb. God, I ask that right now, Lord, you would just pour out your spirit on Jenica, Lord. God, would you raise her up, Lord? Would you do a work in her life that I can't do? I can't raise her up to be who you've called her to be, but God, would you just pour out your spirit on her now? God, raise her up, Lord, and God, as you're raising her up to just be a daughter of you, a daughter who prophesies, Lord, God, would you just begin to pour out that same spirit in children all around this world? God, the children that are here in Restoration Church, God, would you just pour out your spirit on them? God, we're on the cusp of a movement that you are starting, God, and would you start it with these children, Father? Jesus, we ask these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Come on, let's praise you, Lord Jesus. I'll do the crying for both of us, Colin. What do you say? Just, I want to jump to the end. You shared so many things the last year and a half. It's been a joy to get to know you. And I feel like what you're releasing in here, there are going to be some Coleman Baileys come up out of this house. I I believe there's some young teen boys and girls who are even now feeling this. Yeah. Amir, you're thankful for this. Glory to your name, Jesus. Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. And um, you shared, I know there's a million needs, but you shared about you have space, but you don't have operational money. And I ran the numbers in my mind for that one particular home to go from its size to double that you need about 50 grand for a year. Yeah. We are going to commit to be that 50 grand. Mm. 
I don't know where it's going to come from, but I, let, me, let me tell you, this is a check that we had intended to give you for 10 grand. We have a new family in the church who felt led, and they sent me a message on Friday, and I talked with them, and they said they want to give 10 grand as a matching gift. And that if the rest of the church this week during missions week, they'll match it up to 10 grand. So that'll be 30 grand. Come on. And there are 10 more people that could give 10 grand here. And we're building and God's doing a lot of stuff around here, but we're not going to spend $2 million on our property and not give and give till it hurts, mm. until we feel it. Until we miss it. Yeah. And so, in Jesus' name, Please. I told Coleman, and I tell all of our missionaries this. You know, I, I, I just see you, Nathan. And Nathaniel, your dad sent me this this morning. Thank you for praying for me. We sent money to help. As I met with, and he sends a picture of, with pastors in Croatia. The Lord was gracious to us. His presence was palpable and powerful through the Holy Spirit. He rejuvenated these pastors. Today, I preach in Sibenic. Every blessing you have, may you have it today as you begin Mission Sunday. That just came in while we're sitting here from your father. I want all of our missionaries to go. No church supports us and loves us and prays for us yeah. like Restoration Church. We're not in a competition, but... We, God sent you, our hearts are knit together for that right there. This guy also has some fun. Those kids hate to go to the dentist. And he told them about three weeks ago, everybody, it's time we're going to the dentist. He loaded them up in the bus and took them to the amusement park. <laughs> <laughs> and, all, and they ate candy and their teeth fell out. Yeah. Coca-Cola, everything. <laughs> so this week, if you feel led to give above your tithe and regular offering, you can do that. Just put Let's Go 2021 or Missions Week 2021. And um, that money will go to, to help us meet this goal of 50 grand so that you guys can maximize the number of 35 to 40 children are told no for everyone that gets to come in. And he has shared with me, you have to almost be dead or dying for them to be able to take you. That's the only room they have for people. So I wanna encourage you, give. Let's support and let's get behind. You know, I'd love to see us give a half a million dollars in missions this next year. Amen, anybody agree? Amen. So, Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your servant. Thank you for the other missionaries in the jungles of Venezuela, Romania, Pakistan, in Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of the city of Jerusalem. We pray that you would protect, and we thank you, Lord, that your word teaches us as we see these things happening that we should lift up our heads for our redemption draweth nigh. And we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yes, but God. until you do, 
we will occupy and reap a harvest in the name of Jesus we pray amen the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine on you be gracious unto you may he lift up his countenance and give you peace come on say I receive it y'all have a great afternoon God bless you we love you